Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard on July 30th, 2022. And I've always wondered when we start the show, should I say the dates? I never say the dates. I just noticed that I don't. But with that, as always, I want to introduce my co-host, my partner in crime to my left. What's up, Neil? Lance, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I love this time of the year. I know I've bugged you about all kinds of crazy, stupid camp stuff, but I, I enjoy it. I love these shows. I love what comes out of camp. I love the preparation for the season. I'm excited. This is going to be good. You know how I know you're excited uh, because uh, you just text me, yo, that that's all you text me. You <laughs> two just, just text points. me, yo. I'm you not know, a multiple exclamation, exclamation point guy. But before we do that, give me one second, listeners. I got to go off camera for one quick second. But, Neil, before I do that, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Superstar Kwama Law TV, Plant Based Planet. Make sure you check out his channel. And if you guys want to check out the show on YouTube, go to YouTube, do a search for the new standard and the podcast platform. You can find it on any of your podcast readers as well by doing a search for the new standard. I'm going to go off camera for about a hot 10 seconds. So, Neil, why don't you jump into the news and notes while I come back? Before we do, I just want the record to show that this counts for my four hours of studying to guarantee my salary for this show. Lance is the one who's going off off record here. Let's dig into the news a little bit. Here we go. News-wise, really, uh, what we saw this week, uh, up to this point anyway, and this is uh, Saturday morning, uh, 11.30 a.m. Uh, Eastern, 8.30 a.m. Pacific. Injuries are really the, the main story this time of the year. What the Steelers have seen to this point is something of a lower, uh, excuse me, a shoulder injury for wide receiver Chase Claypool. Knocked him out of um, practices on Friday. Um, Mike Tomlin did not leave any real specifics with that or uh, duration of time that he might miss Levi Wallace, the new um, signed cornerback from free agency uh, this, this past March uh, was out with an illness. That was pretty much all Tomlin said about that. And Tomlin does not speak a whole lot in depth to injuries unless there is something significant to speak of. So uh, treat all of them day to day. That's what they're doing. We'll hear more about that after practice. I am sure this afternoon. Um, Otherwise, the action at camp to this point has really been um, the, the story of the offense or the lack thereof. We have not heard great things to this point about quarterback Mitch Trubisky in his effort to uh, win over the starting job, which is something that has largely been assumed on this podcast as well as, well, anybody uh, paying attention to the situation. Mason Rudolph, on the other hand, has performed very well from what all reports uh, have indicated at this point. It is early in camp, but you have to kind of wonder after a while how much of a competition uh, is this really going to be? It wasn't thought to be much of one at all. And I think also adding to this, the fact that Kenny Pickett has not participated at all in the Steelers' seven shots drill does suggest that perhaps uh, Pickett does not have uh, as equal an opportunity to win over the starting job as Trubisky or Rudolph. That may uh, make some happy, make some upset. But if there are three quarterbacks, in my opinion, you've got none, Lance. And right now, uh, it, by all accounts, it really kind of seems like Rudolph has performed the best. Now, whether that matters or not is a different story. But uh, we haven't seen great things from, from Trubisky. Rudolph has done the things he is supposed to do and Pickett hasn't really done a whole lot. So that's where we're at right now. There's a long camp to go though. And I, I don't think many of these decisions are going to be decided simply on uh, statistics tracked during training camp practices. They're simulated. They're not necessarily real, but uh, it's interesting to follow and we'll continue to do that. I think your comments lead us nicely into a new segment that we're going to introduce on the show. And the name of that segment is the open mic segment. And in the open mic segment, it is open P-E-N and Mike, M-I-K-E, where we're going to highlight a Mike Tomlin quote in the show and kind of decipher it and and, and kind of try to say, see what we mean about the quote, see what the quote means to us and what is he saying by the quote. And, and I think in this particular one, He's being very direct. But before I give you the quote, Neil, really briefly, you mentioned seven shots. I know what seven shots is. 
I'm not sure if every listener listening to the show is aware of what seven shots is. Just briefly define seven shots and what's the general purpose of doing the seven shot drill in training camp. Seven shots defined for the Steelers. It, it's, it's something that's specific to them. I have no idea if other teams do it this way, but every team practices something of a two-point conversion drill, and that's what seven shots is. They, they start at the two-yard line, and it's the ones versus the ones, then the twos versus the twos. So you get uh, live competition. Um, at this point, they're padless. They're not tackling, but they are going after each other live um, as far as working on, you know, blocking techniques, uh, pass rush moves and everything. They're obviously throwing the ball live and they rule plays to be down where they uh, player probably would have been down. It's a staple for the Steelers. They've been doing it for a long time. I think it really got uh, it most attention probably back in 2014 and 15 um, when the Steelers offense looked to be pretty explosive and a, a unit that probably was going to go for two uh, pretty often. So it became a, a real competition between the two. Seven opportunities. I, usually they do four with the ones and three with the twos. Um, offense versus defense, winner take all. Um, it, it's it, it's a good point of competition for everybody to kind of see where you measure up in uh, what would be leverage downs. They might run. They might pass. They need a couple yards. Defense really has to stand up. Um, it, the, the players get really excited for it. It's it, fun to see in training camp because they're, they're live. Uh, it's not real simulated. So, it, it's not really a barometer of much, except you can kind of get a sense of where the plays are being made or not not made. And at this point, I think they're fairly even uh, as far as success goes. But that success has not come uh, with the Steelers' first team offense. Their second team offense under Rudolph has been a lot more successful to this point. Again, very early, I know, but you, you report on all of them the same. So uh, we'll we'll see how that ends up. But um, right now, I, I think what we're seeing, Lance, is the Steelers' defense, as we know it, um, can be a unit that can dominate uh, specialty situations, um, situational football in general. They're making plays. T.J. Watt had a sack of Mitch Trubisky on one of their plays. Uh, it, things like that add up over time. And I think it gives the defense, uh, if they're the ones having success, a good amount of confidence going into the season. But it does affirm, Lance, the problems that we have had um, with this offense and how exactly they're going to go about setting up specialty football. We're not seeing great things necessarily right now. They've got a lot of time to work on it, but uh, this was one of the main concerns that we had. I don't want to belabor the point, but and I, and I like how we're having a discussion about seven shots because I think when Steelers Twitter, you kind of see it as a counting stat where people are just sort of counting, you know, what's going on. He's three or four. But let me just ask you this and, and answer this very briefly or very quickly. If, if there's a close evaluation or a close competition between two players, you know, how, how important do you think or how do you think the coaches are using the performance in seven shots as an evaluation? Is doing well in seven shots enough to sway the competition in one way or another in a close competition? I'm putting my Mike Tomlin hat on here. And my guess, uh, what Tomlin would say, would be something to the effect of we evaluate the whole body of work. That's okay. one aspect of it. I don't think there's any one thing you look at to say this is the deciding factor. I don't think that's a smart way to evaluate anything. I think if, if you're out there for three weeks, you play three games, you're running all of these drills, uh, and you're in meetings as well, keep that in mind, all of that should play roughly an equal factor. Maybe, maybe there are situations two players competing for a situational role in this particular role uh, is what they're competing for. That would make sense. I'd get that. But uh, individual success in team drills is kind of hard to, to measure um, in and of itself. I think, though, um, the quarterback having a command of what they're doing in specialty football is of significant importance. Those are the downs you have to win. You have to win the majority of those if you want to win a game. Usually that that's going to be how it is. So not to hammer on my favorite topic, but if Mitch Trubisky goes 0 for 4 in two consecutive practices in that drill, it's going to look very good as far as what he's seeing, what he knows, what's going on. But he's also going up against a great defense. So you have to take all that into account. I don't think it's going to decide anything, but it's certainly something worth uh, paying attention to and, and noticing a, a marked improvement or a decline from any one player for, for an entire unit. I'm glad you mentioned Mike Tomlin because that's a way for us to segue 
into the fire open today, mic, Lance. I'm telling you. Into the open mic. Yes, you are. On Segway fire. king today. Segway. Segway. Neil Segway. That that's a <laughs> that would be an interesting uh uh if you were an actor, that'd be an interesting name. Neil Segway. <laughs> that, that would that that would be that would Sounds be awesome. like somebody playing a doofus actor on a TV show. Yeah, Neil Segway. And if you had a really thick mustache. We know what Neil Segway would be the name for in your other <laughs> okay. career, but get you, to work you, on that. You do not two have... things. Two things that aren't going to happen. <laughs> I can't grow a mustache. I am I am Irish in the non facial hair sense. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> I haven't shaved in a couple of days now, but it, it doesn't grow any better looking than this, and this isn't good. So. And I'm glad we're talking about the quarterbacks, and I'm glad I asked that question about using seven shots as an evaluation because Mike Tomlin said we're not going to micromanage or overmanage this quarterback competition. The depth chart will not rest on every throw. I know that you guys will want to ask me every day and after every show, but we're going to be a little bit more steady than that. I think it's important from a leadership perspective to not overmanage it, to not be too impulsive. So that's what I've relayed to the guys, and our actions will continue to display the mindset. As a former coach myself, and I, and I coached in high school, you know, never professionals. And if you micromanage the competition, guys aren't going to perform. So I understand guys don't want to have the feeling of impending doom on every single throw. A guy can't go out and be comfortable and can't perform to their highest athletic ability and, and, and just play free and loose. I mean, you want to see guys, I mean, you want to apply some pressure. The pressure is there in and of itself because it's a competition. You don't necessarily want to add added pressure and try to distort what the competition really is. So when I hear the comments, it feels like they may have an idea of what it is, but they're going to let the competition reveal what it is. So I'm going to ask you two questions. What's your thoughts on his comments? And also, I'm going to ask, is there any way that Mason Rudolph could actually win the competition? As far as his comments go, I think that that's exactly the, the, the right approach. And I the reason I say that is because it's not – frame it like this. You guys might remember uh, back in 2015 – um, Sean Sweezum blew out his knee in the Hall of Fame game against the Vikings. He was out for the year. They brought in um, Garrett Hartley, who got hurt in their next preseason game. Then they executed a trade for Josh Scobie, who kicked with them for the rest of the preseason before flaming out completely. And I, I think he was done by week four. I think the, week four was when they... Um, lost to the Ravens in the Thursday night game in overtime where he missed, uh, I think, two field goals and an extra point. They cut him after that, and they had a competition between three kickers. I don't remember one of them. The other was Kai Forbath and some unknown guy that no one's ever heard of before named Chris Boswell. They brought him to Heinz Field, and they gave him 10 kicks each. The winner of that got the job. That was Boswell. Boswell's still there. In fact, he's sitting in line for another contract extension right now, which I don't think a Steelers kicker has ever done uh, to get two of them. Um, there are some positions in which you can say, this is your job. It comes down to this moment. This is what you get. And Forbath was by far and away the most experienced kicker that they had. I think it might have been Randy Bullock. I think it was it was Randy Bullock, uh, the other one. Does anybody remember that? I don't know if you do or not, but... <clears throat> um, Boswell was an undrafted rookie coming out of Rice. He'd never kicked in an NFL game before. That was his first NFL experience. He won that day. I think he hit nine of, of 10 and the others hit eight of 10. So Boswell had the pressure tryout for the full-time job. That's not how you evaluate a quarterback. There are just too many things that you have to go through. It, it You add all of it to the entire conversation that you're having. To, the whole competition is measured in a variety of different ways. It's not just uh, any one particular thing, and it's not just any one day. That's what Tomlin is speaking to. That, to me, is is the, the wisest course of action for a position that has to control everything. There's a lot that goes into it. 
it, it's a difficult position, obviously. And I, I don't think anybody would, would argue that they don't have somebody who is the clear cut favorite. So you need to evaluate all of them, not just in their success. How do they respond to bad outings? How do they respond to drop passes? How are they interacting with their teammates? How are they grasping the whole offense? You can't figure those things out in one day. That's just not smart. And you don't need to. You got three weeks. You got three preseason games. All three of them are going to play a lot. Four of them are going to play a lot. Uh, the other rookie, Ola Dukin, is going to get in eventually as well. So I think that what Mike is saying is that it is a competition. They view it as a competition, but they are not going to give um, power rankings every day of who has the job today, who doesn't. They don't approach it as if their game is tomorrow because they don't have to. There's no sense in doing that. Continue to mix it up, put them in different situations, and find out who will have the stronger body of work uh, by the time you need to make that decision. If it's clear and obvious right away, you can make that declaration. But if we've seen anything to this point, if they're going to declare a winner, it's Rudolph, which is absolutely not what they planned on. And I, I, I can't imagine that that's really what they expect. I, I still think Trubisky will be the guy. That's why they paid him twice as much as Rudolph this offseason to come in. Trubisky, though, seems to be struggling early on uh, with some of the team activity, the team competition piece of it. That's one part. Let's see how everything else fold. It, you know, the, the, let's put it all together. We'll evaluate everything because that's their job. There's a lot of coaches that are paid a lot of money and they have a lot of time. So I, I think his comments are spot on. I, I believe it. I think he's legit in, in saying we're going to take our time with this. We're going to put him in different situations. We're going to see uh, who rises to the top. What I would suggest, though, Lance, is it, it, it's interesting to me the way that he framed that question. It almost says we're going to make a very deliberate decision because who we have starting in week one, it's going to take a lot for them to not start anymore, barring injury, obviously. Right. For us right. to bench him, it's going to take a lot because we put in all this work to make this decision. At some point, you got to go with the date that you brought. You know, and I, I think that's what they're kind of setting themselves up to do. They don't want to question on a week-to-week basis who their starting quarterback is short of an injury situation. It can't be on performance. So whoever they pick, they got to go with. I agree. I think that's a nice observation. It does set it up to where he can always fall back on it was an it was a competition and the best man won the competition and it was a fair competition. And, and we allowed their performance to dictate who was the starter. I kind of want to jump into some comments from Ben this week, but but because we're talking about quarterbacks and big up to Claude Bishop, Claude asked a question in the thread real quick about uh, Ben Roethlisberger's comments about uh, players being me first guys. Let's, let's hit it real quick because I want to jump into the main topic of the show because it's been a good discussion about the quarterbacks. And the main topic of the show is Mitch Trubisky and upgrade over 2021 Ben Roethlisberger. And we're going to assume that he is going to win the job for the basis of this discussion. But what's your thought about the interaction between Cam Hayward and Ben Roethlisberger about me first, guys? It felt like, to me, it felt like good friends having a brief, small disagreement in the press. But I think what it kind of showed me also is, and what I've heard from professional football guys is, once you're outside the locker room, you're outside the locker room and guys in the locker room are going to rally around guys and protect their guys. And I thought it was just Cam Hayward saying, okay, I'm going to protect my guys. We know there's some nuance in this. We're team guys. And, 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 and what Ben was speaking to is not really an issue. And he thought the comments were unfair. I, I like the way that the two handled it. He said it. Ben kind of retracted. It didn't become anything bigger than that. But me, I was just really thinking that Cam Hayward was circling around his guys and protecting his guys and protecting his locker room as the new unquestioned leader of the locker room. You're not going to clap back on my guys. If you got an issue with my guys, we'll hash it out. But I'm going to protect my guys. And you're still my guy, but you know I got to protect my guys. A couple things with this. One, I would argue the first person who would say exactly 
what Cam Hayward said when faced with criticism of, of that type during his career would have been Ben. Yes, that was the irony. For the, for the exact reasons that you just said. Cam's on the team. Whether Cam agrees with him or not is beside the point. Cam's on the team. He has to say that for the reasons that you mentioned. He is the un, un, unquestioned leader of that team. They do not have the, the quarterback leader that they've had uh, throughout Cam's career and throughout you know the, the combination of two careers prior to that. They don't have that in place. Cam has to do that. Cam's a smart guy. He knows what he has to do. He knows what the public uh, 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 consensus is going to think when Ben's speaking to the weekend edition of the Post-Gazette. It's going to get read. People are going to talk about it. At the same time, and I, I, I think Cam is a great guy. I, good for him. This is very uh, common among players nowadays. But Cam has a podcast, okay? He's going to... Yeah. Yes. He, he's he's going to do the same thing that Ben was doing to to some degree, just the opposite angle of it. Um, he put that on his podcast. He did not speak to that in a locker room. He did not speak to it to a reporter. He put it on his podcast. Let's just put that out there. Also, you know, I, I talked about this on the radio this week as well. I think there comes a point where everybody says, get off my lawn. You know, I, I think that's just kind of the natural way of things. <laughs> After a while, you get disgruntled by younger people and, it, it's it just becomes kind of how you process things. I'm willing to bet, and I know for a fact there's one player that would back this up. I'm willing to bet there were plenty of people that didn't like the rookie quarterback in 2004's me first attitude too. I could. There's a level of too. there's a level of maturation that yes. happens. Yes. and it's not subject to any one generation. No generation owns. A, a, a level of selflessness or selfishness they're all the same it's an age thing i think we at a ten thousand foot level we can look back over human history and we'll probably find plenty of examples of young people popping off doing whatever they're doing and old people getting mad about it okay that's just it, it's kind of it, it, in other words what i'm really saying is i don't think ben is necessarily wrong but i don't think that that's something that's ever avoided you can yes. manage to that, you can teach to that, and you can get people to, to rise above it. But to some degree, they're all going to kind of come in like that. And I think, too, the establishment doesn't like the, the new people coming in to kind of take power and control away uh, just in the group dynamic. I'm going way too deep on this. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think Ben is wrong, and I think Ben has said things like this in the past. And I think there have been players who have demonstrated uh, more validity behind what Ben is saying than what Cam will acknowledge. But Cam has a, a certain PR duty, and he also has a product that he's trying to market on his own. You put those things together, I think both sides saying what they said, it's fair. I don't think yeah. it's a big deal. I, it, it's, it's, it's his opinion. He can have it. I mean, I, we're not going to have to go long back into the, the past of Steelers players to find a couple chowder heads that probably didn't fit in all that well, uh, according to the quarterback. Ben also <laughs> loved Heath Miller because Heath Miller never talked. He never did anything. Yes. He just went to yes. work. Of course he loves him. I mean, yeah, you want a team full of that. If, if you want to be in control of everything, that makes sense. But I, I, I don't necessarily think it's all that negative of a comment either. Here's a funny piece before we jump into the main topic of is Mitch an upgrade over 2021 Ben is one. Uh, when you talked about the podcast, what, what struck me was they, they could have just teed this up. They could have talked, teed this up and said, OK, I'm going to say this. You say this. You say it on your podcast. You'll get a lot of ratings. Who knows? That's just my speculation there. They could have teed it up um, and I ate it up. It's cheap calories like donuts. I mean, you put donuts on the break room table. Everybody's going to grab one. Ben and Cam going back and forth a little bit in the press. That's a great ratings grab for your podcast Two, the phrase get off my lawn. I don't know if any if you guys saw it. But if you're in the live chat, comment on this. Did you guys see Ben Roethlisberger throw out the first pitch at the Pirates game? I think it was yesterday or Thursday. I, I only saw a shot from like oh way my, down the first baseline. Oh I didn't get a good goodness. sense of his form or anything, but he, he put it in the zone, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But you talk about get off my lawn. Boy, Ben doesn't look like he can move. I mean, yeah. I was thinking about yeah. Ben's comments we about him last year. <laughs> you know, maybe he could play another season. I was no, thinking no, to no, myself, no. he said he could throw. He didn't say he, anything about yes, moving. Yes, he, he did move. say he could throw. He, he knows he can't move. Favre he said the same thing. Favre couldn't move. He couldn't get off the lawn. I mean, I mean, he had a limp. 
I mean, his gait was bad. I mean, Ben looked beat up. I was like, wow, this He's guy got like looks... five years of golf left, and that's it. So anybody ever like complaining ben... about the money that NFL players make, you look at a guy like Ben. Ben is is he's going to be close to permanently disabled before his before his 45th birthday. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's a scary thought. He looked That's like he nuts. was going to be permanently disabled by the time he got to the dugout, let alone 45 years. It was like, wow. I mean, he just looked bad. But let's jump uh, Frank and Ben. That's a great comment by Steelers Freak. Frank and Ben. He looked like that. But let's jump into okay. the main topic. of the is, is Mitch Trubisky an upgrade of 2021 Big Ben? And part of that question – to answer that question, part of it, we have to dig into what 2021 Big Ben was. And I've been doing my seasonal rewatch, and, and I, I pay close attention. I'm up to the Chicago game. I've tried to really focus on the quarterback play. And we were wearing black and gold glasses because I listened to some shows last year, too, and we were pretty rough in our evaluation of Ben Roethlisberger in 2021 as a player, but we probably weren't rough enough. So what I did over the course of the week was, was I, was I probed Neil to come up with some metrics and rankings to evaluate just what 2021 Ben was and to see if Mitch Trubisky could be an upgrade to that. Now we're going to jump into your one comment, but I want, I want the cotton comment at some point when we get to it, Neil. Looking at Big Ben in 2021, we looked at ESPN's QBR, quarterback rating, completion percentage, passing yards, interceptions ratio, DYAR, and DVOA. We're going to really highlight DYAR and DVOA. And before we do that, Neil, I love the way you broke it down earlier this week, and I want you to do it again for the show. In terms of QBR, Ben was 35.6. QB ranking, he was 86.8. 65 completed 65 percent of his passes 3700 yards two to one uh, interception to touchdown ratio but the big number that really chimed out to me or, or, or rang true to me was in terms of dyar and dvoa he was 24th in dyar and he was a minus 9.1 in dvoa which was 25th when i watched ben roethlisberger last year and it's ironic that I just watched the game against Seattle. And I text Neil after the Seattle game and said, Geno Smith was better than Ben Roethlisberger last year. That Ben Roethlisberger was the equivalent of Geno Smith. That Ben Roethlisberger was a high-functioning backup. So briefly break down DVOA and DYR and how that might relate to the statement I made. Because when we saw Ben Roethlisberger last year, of course that wasn't Ben at his best, but I think that was Ben essentially as the 36th, 35th best starting quarterback in the National Football League. Yeah, he wasn't good. He wasn't good. Um, first off, okay, let's let's break him down. Let's start with um, DVOA, Okay. DVOA is is a proprietary stat owned and, and created, owned and maintained by Football Outsiders, uh, which is a, a, a brilliant football analysis site run by Aaron Schatz and a variety of, of uh, analytical, statistical types of NFL writers. Um, it, it, very informative, great site, great insight, highly recommended. DVOA is defensive adjustment, uh, <laughs> defensive adjusted value over average. Okay, so in other words, what they're saying is the average player at this position, and we're we're doing quarterbacks, so I'll I'll speak of this as quarterbacks, but they do it for every position and every team. The average quarterback, based on every factor uh, that a quarterback would face, they break it down play to play, um, game to game, everything that they'll put together. They can normalize that and come up with an average standard. DVOA is a percentage above, at, or below that average. 
So if Ben Roethlisberger, what do you have in front of you, Lance? Sorry, he was nine point seven or something negative, right? It was minus nine point one. It was minus nine point one. Nine point. So Ben at negative nine point one was nine point one percent worse than the average quarterback in the NFL last year. For me, I think that probably best describes his season. It, it's not too far worse than the average, but the average in the NFL isn't all that good. The NFL is really top heavy. Uh, the deeper you get into analytics, you'll see it. And, and football outsiders does a good job of showing this. The average quarterback is not particularly good. Certainly not in the eyes of fans, but <clears throat> what DVOA does as well is it adjusts that average based on the, the teams that the quarterback faced. So based on the, the overall value of um, what 14 or 13 teams that they faced. I forget what the number is um, at those given times that they faced them, their defensive value is incorporated into Roethlisberger's DVOA. So it, it's a very comprehensive and thorough stat that shows over the course of a year where he stands in relation to his peers. Now DVOA does have, I think some perhaps I wouldn't call them limitations necessarily, but there is no one golden stat, okay? Not any one thing does not ever tell you the whole picture. Certainly not in the NFL when there are so many things to calculate. DVOA is a really good one. It's not all of it, but it's a really good one. Um, it's not fully comprehensive. The one I also look at is DYAR, which is defensive adjusted yards above replacement, okay? Replacement is not average. Replacement is the 33rd quarter starting quarterback in the NFL. So you think of it as a hypothetical first backup beyond the 32 starters. That level of play is, uh, in, in this case, considered replacement level. Yards above that means this is how many yards this player uh, adjusted for the defenses that he faced would have thrown over the replacement level in a hypothetical and let's, let's, situation. And let's define that. Let's put a, a, a face to, to that. And I'm going to use Mike Sando's definition. And I would call a replacement a tier five. And because we talked about Geno Smith, we're going to use Geno Smith as a tier five. So Geno when, Smith is probably a good example of the 33rd quarterback. So think of the 33rd, Geno Smith as the 33rd quarterback. And so, you know, what Neil is saying is how many yards – would Ben have thrown over Geno Smith? So think of Geno Smith as yes. the average Joe. Geno Smith is patient zero for this. Now, again, though, just to, to stress and be clear, this is not meant to be literal. We are not literally comparing Geno Smith to Ben Roethlisberger yet. <laughs> what we are saying is he is probably the replacement level, give or take. Ben Roethlisberger had 85 in DYAR, which means over the course of the season, over the course of the season, he had 85 more yards, more passing yards than the replacement level quarterback. That equals, I'm not a math major here. I'm just going to type it up on the old calculator. Five yards a game more, which five yards, you know it's bad because even that is under Ben Roethlisberger's yards per attempt average, which was like 5.3, which is miserable. Really, really bad number. So Ben Roethlisberger, by that stat, was barely above the replacement level, not significantly above the replacement level. And that, Lance, I believe was like, what, 24th in the league, something like that? About 25th. 25th in the league, okay? There are 32 starting quarterbacks by definition. Other guys are going to come in and out. You're probably going to look at 37 guys who started a game throughout the season. The people that Ben Roethlisberger are up against, as far as DYAR goes, it, 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 his peers, if you will, Baker Mayfield, uh, excuse me, Lance, I, yeah, Baker Mayfield at, at 94, Davis Mills at 66, Daniel Jones at 14, and then we get into the negatives. Negative 20 for Ryan Tannehill, who makes $25 million a year, and I'm really happy I'm not a Titans fan. Tyler Huntley, who was thrown in the fire after Lamar Jackson got hurt in Baltimore. You think their offense is bad with, with Jackson under center? You probably should have seen it under poor Huntley. Um, Andy Dalton, our old friend, who is probably lifetime 33rd quarterback as far as yards go. Jacoby Brissett, Cleveland Browns starter in week one. 
Justin Fields, who everybody blames the coach for, for a variety of different reasons. And now he doesn't have that problem anymore, but it's the same plague that uh, affected uh, poor Mitch Trubisky. Landed him $7.5 million this year. Trevor Lawrence, the first overall pick of the draft, who has a legitimate gripe as far as his coach goes. Uh, Sam Darnold, who's still in the league somehow, I'm not sure. And Zach Wilson, who had, between Darnold and Wilson, of the Panthers and the Jets last year, Darnold was negative 581, and he didn't start the entire season. And Wilson was negative 609. Those are just massive, massive numbers. Um, Excuse me, it's 558 and 569. I was looking at something else. Uh, both very, very poor and uh, 200 yards lower than Lawrence was. So Ben is is much closer to the bottom of this than he is the top. The top of the league being Tom Brady at 1,892. Uh, Rogers second at 1,510. 1,892 is a monster number. That's how much better Brady is than the replacement level quarterback. Ben was barely better. On a, nominal, in my opinion, is not really much of a difference between yeah, the that's, two. That's, that's so, negligible. Yeah, I, think, I, I, I think, wouldn't even factor that in, except you you put a clean list together and you'll see Ben being where he is. There's a certain point on this list, and it probably starts at about Ben, where all of them are more or less replacement level or worse. I think what it says when I was looking at DVOA and DYAR, it just, it just reinforced that the quarterback position is very difficult. There's not many that are very good. In fact, in terms of DVOA, there were only 16 guys that had a positive percentage. I think what we're trying to say and is that replacing Ben Roethlisberger at this point is probably much easier than fans believe. I think we had a perception of Ben based on what Ben was, based on what he did for the Steelers. And I think somehow because we're black and gold diehards, we probably gave Ben a little more benefit than we should have and blamed a lot of the offense's issues on other areas when it was a it was a bad combination of everything. When we asked the question, is Mitch Trubisky an upgrade of Big Ben? And, and I just wanted to illustrate, there's two things. Mitch Trubisky at his best, his DYAR in 2018 when he was a pro bowler. And Neil always says when nine other guys did not want to go to Hawaii. Look, uh, look at this stat. This stat alone will tell you there were several NFC quarterbacks who were better than Mitch Trubisky. I'm that pretty sure even, those even, guys just didn't want to go. That, that even at me. his best, Neil, his DYAR in his best, best season by way, by far. Was, was 448 which was 17th, and his DVOA was 3.6, which was 17th and 19th, respectively. So by percentage, he was 3.6% DVOA better than the replacement. So 3.6% better per play than the average. Than the average DVOA. Yes, so... That's not not bad, but let's be honest. If we're going to trump... You know, if, if we're going to make a big deal out of him going to the Pro Bowl, we should probably look at the fact and plainly say that his best season by uh, by standardized numbers, his best season is more or less that of an average player. He's not really much better than that. That was his best season. So I'm, I'm just pointing that out there. Yeah, so when we look at this, I think when we ask the question, I think the issue that's puzzling for me, and the question is Mitch Trubisky an upgrade over 2021 Ben, Big Ben, I would say yes. Because I don't think, honestly, you have to do that much to be a replacement, to be an upgrade over Big Ben of 2021. I think, honestly, I think Mason Rudolph could be an upgrade over Big 2021 Big Ben. I think the question is, and the nuance in your quote was pretty funny in our chat was, how much, to what degree is it an upgrade? Because I think we saw in his best statistical season, and we've got a guy that hasn't played football. I mean, when's the last game Mr. Trubisky started? Um, I mean, he hasn't started a game in quite some time. 
I mean, I, I don't know how many reps he took up in Buffalo, but he basically did not play last eight. year. Eight he snaps took eight reps. So we're talking about a guy that's taken eight reps in probably over two calendar years. And so do I think that guy can be an upgrade over Big Ben? Yes. How much? I don't know. And I think that's where the nuance is. But I think the way Ben played quarterback in 2021 most people are going to be an upgrade, yeah, but I don't not, think not it's, great, Bob. <laughs> you know, I, I think not most great. people are going to be an upgrade, but I don't, the question is by how much. And so if, if I'm concluding that he's going to be an upgrade, speak to how much of an upgrade, Neil, and you've got to use your quote that you gave me in, in the it, chat. Honestly, for, for me, and I understand people familiar with this, program are are aware of what i feel about this and this is why this is truthfully why i feel the way i do about mitch trubisky his likely statistical output versus ben's last year you're adding a couple deck chairs onto the titanic these are not significant improvements is there an improvement probably it's I, I read the names of the people who were lower than Ben. They're all pretty fatal reasons why they're lower than Ben. They're either Ryan Tannehill or they're really young players who had coaches fired because of how bad they were last season. We should expect to see overall an improvement in these areas over Roethlisberger. I, I feel confident in, in making that prediction. But what we're saying is, um, a, a, <clears throat> is that what I said? A, I said a couple things. I get colorful sometimes. <laughs> it's trying to put out a forest fire by whipping it out and, and taking a leak. It, it's not going to stop anything. It, it's it's not going to prevent anything. And the narrative, and this has already come up in the comments, uh, Trubisky is mobile. So? He's not a running quarterback. He's not adding a 1,000 yards to the offense. He is a guy that can run at an angle to the sideline to pick up a few first downs. You're right. Ben could not do that. I am in no way arguing that he could. What I am arguing is for the, what, seven games they lost by 10 points or more last year, whatever that is, do you think two extra first downs are going to help with that? And two extra a game would be a huge rushing number. All right? Lamar is by far and away the best rushing quarterback the NFL has ever seen. By far. Not even close. Don't tell me Vic. Don't tell me Cam. Don't tell me Steve Young. It's clearly Lamar Jackson. That offense had a year in which they destroyed rushing records because they were able to score out of it. They haven't done anything with it since. Simply running the ball, it takes a lot more. You assume a lot more risk. You turn the ball over a lot more. There is more danger involved running the football than there is throwing it. And guess what? Mitch Trubisky ain't Lamar Jackson, not by a long shot. He's, he's Baker Mayfield. He has that level of mobility. Nobody is saying that Baker Mayfield is slow, but you're not building a game plan around him. He's not adding huge numbers uh, points-wise and yards-wise based on his running ability. It's He's going to have the opportunity to convert maybe another third and five a game, which is good. I have no problem with that. that I, I, it's not a bad thing. But add in a, a history of very poor to average at best passing numbers, you're not getting a whole lot out of Mitch Trubisky. You're just not. And you can't scheme up garbage. It, it just you're not going to be able to do much with it. He's going to put together a drive or two. He's going to make a, a play with his legs out of the pocket, extending a, a, a drive that otherwise would end in a punt. So if the Steelers don't go 0 for five to, to start games anymore, as far as their their first five offensive drives, that's great. But unless you're telling me that that difference is going to be 10 points. It's not going to make as big an impact as people think that it will. This is still going to be a team without a good quarterback. Yeah, I I, I agree, and so I, I think there will be an upgrade, but it, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think what was startling to me in, in doing my rewatch was just initially just from the first game, you know, where Ben was. I mean, just from the first game you know, where he was as a player. So I think he will be an upgrade. I think Mason Rudolph will be an upgrade. I don't think Mason Rudolph will be on the roster. Um, you know, at some point in time, I think Mason Rudolph, you know, he might stick around for a little bit. But I think either Mason Rudolph or Mitch Trubisky will be the upgrade. And as far as 
Super Steelers comment, play great defense and run the balls our only hope. I, I would I would say this. Go watch the oh, Seattle man. game. Go go watch yeah. the Seattle game. <laughs> the Seattle <laughs> game is a perfect explanation as to just how that formula is so precarious to win it football takes, games. They played a team. Two drives. They played a team. They played a team with no uh, Russell Wilson and, and several um, wide receiver starters. And that game went to overtime and TJ Watt had a strip sack late, you know, early or late in the overtime and they win the game 23-20. I mean, that is that is why that formula does not work consistently. And so Mitch is an upgrade. Hell, Mason is an upgrade. But it's like Neil said, it's like an upgrade from what? If, if mean, that's it, it, if that's the standard here, if that's the only thing that matters, you can have it. What I am challenging you to think about is whether or not that upgrade matters at all. What difference does it make? Forest fire, your own personal rinse. Are, are you stopping that on your own? This upgrade is no different than that. It's not going to be significant. Can you win nine, 10 games in today's NFL with defense, which has become massively variable? Meaning they're up and down all season. And the Steelers last year proved that conclusively. It is extremely difficult to stop today's NFL teams for a long period of time, keeping them below even 30 points. Okay. Seattle came back on the Steelers and damn near won that game. Chicago damn near won that game. These aren't even good offensive teams. And they went nuts over three drives at the end of the game. If you're not able to do that, you can't win consistently. And the Steelers, you got some of that with Ben. Ben pulled a couple games out of his ass. He really did. I'm not saying that Ben, play to play, it was horrible. He had a couple moments, but the, the bigger picture, he was not good. And there's really nothing that we can see about Trubisky to suggest, or Rudolph for that matter, because we've seen Rudolph. We, we know what his body of work is. There's not a whole lot to me that suggests the differences between either one of them and Ben Roethlisberger in whoever's offense in, in whatever stadium is going to be substantially better. I think they're going to have a few more drives that are a little bit more consistent. I think they'll run the ball a little bit better, but if they're going to focus primarily on running the ball, you're going to see a team that doesn't win consistently week in and week out. They're not going to stack wins the way that they have. You just, you can't play like that in the NFL anymore. It's just too easy to stop. And in tier one, I wanted to go through the tiers real quick before I asked my last two questions for the episode and we get out of here. In tier one in Mike Sandoz article, I think Mike Sandoz of the athlete, <laughs> tier one was defined as quarterbacks who can carry their team each week. He had Aaron Rodgers, uh, Pat Mahomes, Tom Brady, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow in that order. Tier two um, are guys who can carry their team, but not as consistently as tier one guys. He had Stafford, Wilson, Watson, Jackson, Prescott, Carr, Kyler Murray, and Matt Ryan. In tier three, as I as I scroll down, that was uh, quarterbacks who are legitimate starters but need a strong running game and or defense to compete. The type of quarterback that we were just talking about, Super Steelers was just talking about. And that was Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garofalo, Ryan Tannehill, Mac Jones, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Trevor Lawrence, and Jameis Winston. We find that Mitch Trubisky is in tier four, ranked 33rd, which ironically is replacement level. Go tier figure, four right? includes quarterbacks who are either unproven or veterans who ideally would not start all seven games. That's what Mitch Trubisky is. So if you're replacing a tier four guy with a tier four guy, it's a slight improvement, but it's not much of an improvement. Let's jump into a couple of true falses before we get out of here. Let me ask you this one, Neil. True or false, DK Metcalf's contract will be the comp for Deontay Johnson. Boy, I got assaulted on this the other day on, on social media. Um, here's the thing, Lance. I, it, it, it's both true and false, and that that's a reality. I know that that's not as simple and clean as we would like it to, 
there are other comps that you're going to bring in, but you cannot ignore the most recent signing. You just can't. That, that's not how you value things. You have to look at the most recent comp and determine from there what the similarities are. Metcalf's production is way lower than Johnson's is. That, that's the truth. It just is. Metcalf is a, a much more physically inclined player. He's much more of a, of a big-time player. His contract being what it is, it's also weird in the sense that it's only three years long. Is Johnson going after yeah. a three-year deal? I don't know. Yeah, that was interesting. But Metcalf is extremely smart to do that because I'm guessing Seattle was lowballing him because they're not sure exactly the, the type of receiver they're going to get or what the real big play value is when they don't have a quarterback. Do they want to commit themselves to that much money? It might not be the way I would go about it, but I see why they're doing what they're doing. And in my opinion, three-year deal is the smartest for both of them. Metcalf gets probably lower than market, 24 million APY, which if we want to look at just average per year, uh, 24 million APY is lower than I think what Metcalf is worth. But that's also why he probably got huge guarantees, a record in guaranteed money for a receiver, and he only has three years. So if he does really well in three years, he hits the market again at 28. He can yeah, easily sign a yeah, three or four yes. year deal. Uh, Tyreek Hill is older than him, and he just got a massive raise. Hill is is close to, to 30 million APY. So um, Johnson, what Johnson's really saying is, you've paid me nothing for my first three years in the league. Last year, I was third in the NFL in targets, and I played 16 games. I'm only averaging a shade under 11 yards per catch, which isn't great, but you had a bum quarterback. Here's a thousand different measurements that show that. And here's the new quarterback that you brought in and you're paying him 10 times as much money as you're paying me. All of this tells me you want me to get 160 targets. Again, you want me to catch 10 passes a game. Okay. If you're going to not catch, sorry, you're going to throw me the ball 10 times a game. I'm going to catch seven, eight of them a game. That puts me in this level regardless of anything else, you're using me this much. You obviously think that I have value. A valued yes. receiver, if you want to define it as the, the proverbial, and I hate this term, the proverbial number one receiver, that's Deontay Johnson on the Steelers. And it's not even close. There's no argument. I don't care what you think a number one receiver is. You can't define it any better than the guy who gets the ball the most. And that's Johnson. Yeah. By he had what, about 160 margin. targets maybe last year? It's third in the league. Third in the NFL last year. And what, what is your – give me your reason why you think he's going to get fewer than that, significantly fewer than that. I'll, it's significantly, I'll, I put it 145. Why is he getting 145 or fewer targets beyond injury this year? No reason to think that. They're going to give him the ball a bunch. He's going to do what he does with it, whether it's big or not, and he's going to have consecutive years of high targets, high catches – reasonable yards, lower yards per catch that you can blame on the offense that isn't going to be particularly good. And the market says with that, probably with inflation and premium because you're you're wanting to sign him in free agency, 21 to 24 million a season. I'm not his agent and I can negotiate this. It's not hard. The, the wide receiver market exploded. You cannot deny. It doesn't matter what you think of Deontay Johnson. It doesn't matter what you think of him on social media. It doesn't matter what passes you remember him dropping. The fact is his bigger picture numbers are very much in line with the guys who are getting paid that much money. He's not Jamar Chase, but Jamar Chase isn't getting paid like a big dude yet. He doesn't have the, the big playability as Christian Kirk, but he's got everything else over Christian Kirk. Metcalf doesn't have his production year to year. You put all those things together, you can see Johnson can at the very least make a, a, a claim that I belong in this area. And for what part of an increasing salary cap Huge rollover money every year. There's a billion dollars in combined cap space every single year now at, at the start of free agency. What team is not going to give him that money if he wants it? Three-year deal, guarantee the whole thing. He could easily get three years, 70 million, 25 million guaranteed. That, that's, that's not hard to make. That puts him in Metcalf's range. So it's not a comp specifically, but the, it, it's more fuel to a market that Johnson wants to get in on. That's really what matters here. And you, you can't, outside of, of what you feel of him on your team, you can't argue that he's not inside that market right now. You just can't. You know, looking at it, if I'm Deontay Johnson, given where the Steelers are from a quarterback perspective, unless I think Kenny Pickett is going to be the truth, 
I'm I'm out of Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm I'm out of Pittsburgh. I try to go to the open market and try to get paid. I mean, when you look at the argument, it's is he a number one for you and he's a number one for the league, right? So it is both. So if he's your number one, he clearly is your number one, and he only has to be to worry about being the number one for the Steelers per se. And what is his value to the Steelers? When you are averaging 135 targets a season, he got targeted 92 times as a rookie. Yeah, and that's increasing. Times. Keep that in mind. 92 targets for a rookie is a big number. Okay. 144 at, in for his a second third year. Round pick. And 169 targets in 2021. Only going up. I mean, he's, it is only so clearly, without he's him. A huge and, and, and we've talked about how the offense has struggled and that's with the struggling offense without him. I mean, so his value for this offense is it's, it's beyond number one wide receiver. Like yeah. he might be the most value, only valuable offensive player. And that leads me to my next true or false Exactly right. question for you before we get out of here. Chris Boswell is the Steelers best offensive player. True <laughs> or false. False kickers are not offensive players. Um, technicality. I understand what you're saying. I think Chris Boswell legitimately has a claim to be um, it, likely the most valuable player on the team this year. If Boswell is not 91 plus percent, this team is not winning more than seven games. They're going to play close because they have to. They're going to play defense because they have to. If they're in close games, the difference is going to be your special teams. And Boswell's really good. Fortunately for the Steelers, you might recall, I mean, they grossly overachieved last year when Boswell was lights out. 2015, that team probably should have been worse than it was. Boswell, though, was he was out of his mind. One of the best seasons we've ever seen from a kicker. He was excellent. If Boswell does that again, I, I think this team could be in competition for eight wins, maybe nine, possibly. If Boswell it drops down, if he misses a couple kicks, <clears throat> honestly, I, I'm not sure those aren't going to be game-deciding types of things because they're going to have to play close. You know, the more Boswell is kicking is the more competitive of a game that they're in. And if, if he is not what, what he has been, I, I don't know how many games they're going to win. So I, I think you can make the argument as far as uh, being valuable on the team. I just – it's a whole other thing. Kickers are not offensive players. Well, because of that technicality, I'm going to say false. But if there wasn't the technicality, I'm going to say true. Because I, I make Bo the argument for sure. Because Boswell is of the on the offensive side of the football. Boswell is the only player that you would consider possibly an NFL best at his position. And the only and the guy that I'm thinking is the NFL best is Justin Tucker. I think Justin Tucker and, and Tucker is a historic beast. But you know, Tucker what? is so historically is good. So. Yeah. They're yeah. both great. It, it's yeah. it, if you're into special team stuff, I have something of a background in special teams. I I enjoy what goes into that because it's so unknown to everybody else. Boswell and Tucker are just phenomenal kickers. They're really both are just really really good at what they do, and it, it's it's fun to to see them having um, the historic levels of success that they have. And it's not a coincidence that you know probably the two best kickers in the game right now are on two teams that don't finish below 500 very often. So they're very much a, a part right. of that success. Ton of points. Before we get out of here, Neil, and I'm trying to end it precisely at one hour, what you got going on the wire network in terms of the Steelers stuff for next I'm um, just going to cover camp, you know, try to, to get as much information up there as we can, try to um, <clears throat> dig into what's going on, uh, try to explain it a little bit. I anticipate, I'm not breaking news, but I am anticipating Chris Boswell signing an extension sooner rather than later, uh, certainly before the end of camp. They have no real reason to, to not give him the extension. Um, it, I, that's something they're working on, I'm sure. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if they do something else either. They, I don't know if they want, um, their current situation would give them a little bit of scratch to sign somebody else. They're a team that, that has always wanted to put the money onto the field. They don't want to have to carry $25 million in, in uh, unused cap space one year to another because that only means you got to spend twice as much the next year. And teams negotiate against – excuse me, free agents negotiate against your cap position. So if the, if player X wants $5 million now it, it, when you have $25 million in cap space, if you have 50 they they're going to ask for 10 
So you, you don't save it. You may as well spend it on the guys you have right now. If there are guys that you want right now, Boswell absolutely is one of those guys, in my opinion. So um, I, I would expect that move to come sooner rather than later and check it out on, on Steelers wire when it does. And with that listeners, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Hope you guys have a happy, joyful and safe weekend. And with that, we're going to conclude the program and as always tune in, tell a friend and subscribe. Go Steelers.